Alright. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2019. Anyone make any resolutions? No. I made one last year that I would clean up my email inbox. And uh, I figured out that if I deleted 100 emails a day or sorted them, that I would, in about mid-February, be caught up. And so if you've ever sent me an email, I just want you to know, I still have it. <laughs> it's safe. <laughs> Resolutions. Um, I, I kind of want to challenge us to have a congregational resolution for this year. Uh, I want us to have a goal that, that we kind of work for and, and hold each other accountable to. Uh, and it's got two parts. So see if this is something that you think you can do. Uh, two parts to a congregational New Year's resolution. Part number one is this. Seek out God's mission. Seek out God's mission. What is God doing in the world? And the second part is this. Anywhere you feel like you see God's mission, get on board. Join God in his mission to do something in this world. It seems obvious, and it seems like it would be an easy thing, but I think that most of us actually go a normal week without wondering what God's doing in the world and without giving any consideration to whether or not we should get on board and participate in what he is doing. Uh, there's a slide that was up a minute ago that had the Latin phrase, Miseo Dei, um, the mission of God. And, and it's in Latin, and the reason that I like that it's in Latin is that this is something that's been part of Christian conversations going back thousands of years, hundreds of years. Uh, that Christians have asked, what is God's mission in the world? What is he doing? What is he up to? What is it that God wants done? And when we think about this kind of ancient idea of God being on mission in the world and God having something that he is doing and wants done... Uh, I think there's different ways that we can think about it. And I want to look at, at several different ways of looking at that today. But before we do, I want to kind of give you a little bit uh, of an overview of where we're going. Uh, we're about to go on a, a nine-week journey that ends in a party. Okay, a nine-week journey that ends in a party. Does that sound good? Yeah. The party is going to look a lot like the potluck we always do at the end of March for missions. <laughs> but it's a party. Uh, we've got March for Missions. We've always done that uh, in February. Uh, we used to do it in March. We moved it to February, but we still have the Giving Sunday in March, so we're just marching towards missions in February is where we are. Uh, but in January, we're going to start kind of having a conversation leading up to that because we're going to be doing something uh, a little bit different in March for Missions this year. We're also going to be doing a lot that's the same. Uh, so this year in March for Missions, what we're going to be doing, we will still have the financial giving challenge for this church to give, I think it's going to be about $110,000 to support local and foreign missions. Uh, $110,000, that's still going to be there. But we're going to add two wrinkles to March for Missions this year. And it's in part because we're going to talk about things we're already doing. And we're going to try and set some goals and measure how we support and do missions uh, a little bit differently. Uh, one of the things we're going to be doing this year is we're going to challenge every single family to adopt one of our missionaries that does international mission work uh, in prayer. 
that every day you will pray for one of our missionaries. And we'll uh, have information about all the different missionaries that we have and that we're supporting and that are a part of what, what Northwest is doing. And we want every family to choose one of those that you'll commit to praying for all year. So that we can tell our missionaries, not only are we supporting you financially, but every single day this church lifts you up in prayer. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever uh, you've got going on, whatever you're trying to do, we are in prayer for you. And the other thing that we're going to do is we're going to have a participation goal. We're going to have a challenge. We're going to challenge every, uh, the members of Northwest to get involved in local or international missions. And we're going to put out a lot of different ways of doing that. Some we've already been doing. Uh, but we're going to create opportunities for you to be bridges in your world. For us as Christians to be bridges that bring God into the world and bring the world to God. And to do that, we're going to have to find ways to do ministry uh, and mission that aren't just happening in this building on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. We're going to have to get out in the world and, and live among people. But when we start talking about what it means to be the people that are carrying out God's mission in the world, what does that look like? And I think the first thing we have to ask is what we're going to be talking about today. What is God's mission? Next week, we're going to talk about uh, what is my page in God's story. And after that, we're going to talk about what happens when all of God's people can get on the same page. And, and we kind of, I mentioned that last week, this idea that in Babel, that God says if there's one people speaking one language, they get together, then nothing will be impossible for them. We're looking at the possibility of a, a whole congregation coming together with one vision and one voice and trying to do what it is that God wants them to do. The mission of God. And so today as we begin asking that question, what is God's mission? Uh, I want to kind of give you three versions of an answer. And I want to give you three versions uh, because I want to give you one that I think is bad and that's troubling. I want to give you one that's true but limited. And I want you to give, and I want to give you a third one that for me is incredibly exciting. You might be thinking, why not just skip to the third one? Uh, and the answer is, I want you to be late for lunch. Uh, especially you. That's probably texting me right now. Hurry up, get to the third one. Uh, I want to talk about these other ideas because I think they're built into kind of the DNA of how we think about God's mission. And if we don't realize that we're thinking this way, it can prevent us from getting to the right way of thinking. And so I think a lot of times the first version of how we think about what is God's mission in the world is something along the lines of God had a mission to send his son. It's kind of like John 3.16. Uh, God sent his son. Uh, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Is that true? Yes. But if that's the end of his mission... We get this idea that God had a mission, Jesus finished the mission, the Bible tells us about the mission, and we can respond to it, but it's a closed mission. That all that's left is our response and telling other people so they can respond, but God's job is over. I think that version is, is dangerous. And the primary reason that I say that is I think that any time we tell God what he can't do, we're stepping into a really precarious 
We're stepping into a place that maybe we don't want to go. I, I believe that God is active and alive, that he can do what God wants to do, and I believe that God continues to be intimately involved in the working of his creation, that he didn't just wind the creation, sin the deliverer, and once Jesus uh, ascended into heaven, he said, well, my job's done. Uh, now I can just step back and see what they do. I don't think God works that way. Uh, in part because of some of the texts that we're going to look at today, uh, but in part because of uh, Jesus' promise in John 14. John 14, Jesus is talking to the apostles, and he tells them that after he's gone and with God, that any who believe in Jesus will receive the Holy Spirit, which this Holy Spirit is part of God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. Three in one. It says, any who believe will receive the Spirit, which is God dwelling within them, and will continue Jesus' work even in his absence. And, and Jesus tells them, you need me to leave so the Spirit can come so that you can do even greater things than you've seen in me. Now, does that sound like God's retired from mission? I don't think so. I think God is active and alive. The second version of, of thinking about God's mission uh, is true but limited. And here's what I would say about this one. As we think about God's mission, again, was to send Jesus to die on the cross to save me from my sins so that I can be saved, so that when I die, I will live forever with God. God made me. Jesus saved me. The Spirit is in me. Is all of that true? Absolutely all of that is true. So what's the problem? If you listen to, to that version of God's mission, it's so focused on me. Me, I, me, I, what I get out of salvation. Uh, it's all about me. In this version of God's mission, everything God has ever done was entirely and exclusively so that I can be saved, which is true, but it's limited. It's true, but it's limited. I think God is up to something that's much bigger than just thinking about what I get out of the salvation that comes from the cross. I think God is up to something much bigger than, than just going after a bunch of individuals. And, and so if you have your Bibles, or if you want to follow the screen, turn to John chapter 15. <coughs> Jesus is, this is in the part of John's gospel where Jesus is giving a lot of, uh, of teachings to the apostles because he knows the time is coming uh, when he's going to be arrested and crucified, and it's not long after that till he'll ascend to, uh, to where God is to prepare a place for us. And so it's, it has this weight of final instructions and important things that they need to know. So in John chapter 15, starting in verse 9, Jesus continues this, this teaching, and he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If we stop right there and hold this text and we think about what we often associate with following the commands that are in the Bible... Uh, this is really going to, I think, 
so awkward. When I was a youth minister, I used to ask the teens, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you know what the first thing teens do when they tell you what it means to be a Christian? They talk about what they're not allowed to do. <laughs> Everyone else can have more fun than me. Why? Because they're not Christians and I am. And, and the problem is that some of us don't ever grow out of that mentality. Uh, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that all my friends at work and coworkers get to do all kinds of things that I'm not allowed to do. Those are the commands of Jesus. And so what does it mean when Jesus says here, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you, remain in my love? Well, what does it take to remain in his love? Our default answer to that question is, I've got to obey all the rules. And if I obey all the rules, then I'll remain in Jesus' love as Jesus obeyed God's rules and remained in his love. <coughs> The problem is, is this, Jesus now gives the command in verse 12, and it sounds different than all the fun things we're not getting to do. Here's what he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. There it is, there's the first and greatest command, is love each other as I have loved you. Wait, Jesus, you mean that on Friday nights we're not allowed to have fun? I didn't say anything about Friday nights or fun. Love each other. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. He says, here's my command. Love one another. As I've loved you, love one another. And then he goes on and he has this really incredible line where he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. He just gets the instructions and he does them. And this is why I think it's so important that we're asking the question, what is God's mission? Because if all we're doing is following the rules and we don't stop to ask, what is this business that our God and Father and His Son Jesus are all about then all we're doing is being servants. But Jesus says, I don't want you to be servants. I want you to be friends. And what makes you friends and not servants is I'm telling you what my business is. And here's the command that you need to start with. Love each other. Love each other. With all the things that come with that command, you need to know my business. Ask, what is God's mission? What am I doing and then when you figure out what God is doing in the world, you jump on board with both feet. God, if you're going in that direction, me too. God, if you're looking at those people, me too. God, if you want those people uh, to come to know you, then I'm going to tell them. If you want that person to have some of my money, then I'm going to give it. God, whatever your mission is, I will stop at nothing to do what you want done. Command is this, love each other. Jesus then goes on to start talking about what it means about the world. The world is going to hate the, the disciples. He says, the world hated me first, and it's going to hate you too. And as the world rejected me, it rejects you. And as it accepts me, it, it accepts you. He says, listen, what you're doing as my followers is my work. 
And whatever they do to you, they do to me. And he connects what the apostles are doing in the world with who Jesus is and what Jesus does, even in his absence. God's mission is the church's mission. As the world responds to us living that, they respond to Jesus enacting it and God desiring it. There's this incredible connection in all that Jesus is saying between who he is and who we are, what he does and what we do. We need to seek out God's mission and chase it. Paul later in the church is going to talk about it in, in a similar way uh, in Romans chapter 8. And after we look at this text, you're going to see where it is that we're going as we move towards version 3 of asking what is God doing in the world. But in Romans chapter 8, this is the text that you had read earlier, uh, starting in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We believe that, that we're the children, certainly. That means if you are God's children who've taken him on and clothed yourself with Christ in baptism, if you're his children, you are led by his Spirit. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The Spirit is alive in us. And if you have a version of the gospel and a version of God's mission that involves God checking out of the world, then you're missing what this text says. Because what this text tells us, this scripture tells us, is that God is active and alive in the bodies of all of those who claim to be children of God. And that you know it because the Spirit leads them. And where is the Spirit going to lead them? Into doing what God wants done. So much of our understanding of God's mission is that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins. And now I'm saved and I just wait until I die so I can go be with him forever. What this text says is that if you've been baptized, you're not waiting until God comes back. God is in you now and is doing in you the things that he wants done. You're on mission if his spirit is in you. And he keeps going in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The gospel isn't just good news for me, and it's not just good news for you. The gospel is good news for the entire creation. 
In fact, Paul says, look, don't you understand that, that as God is beginning to do things in his church, don't you know that the entire creation is groaning in anticipation, waiting to see what God will do and reveal in his people to bless and change a world that's desperate for us to release it from bondage to decay and set it free. The whole world is waiting to be set free by the glory that will be revealed in in us. That's a much different gospel. That's a much different mission. The entire world should be blessed and should see God's glory because of what God is doing in and through us. He continues uh, in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he also called. Those who called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The whole world is waiting. And what the world is waiting for is for us to reveal God's glory. And what God wants is for us to be willing to let his spirit work in us to do the things that he wants done. To be his people on mission. And and here's what I want you to see. Is that when we think mission, we go back to kind of the the version 2, which is about saving individuals. Is that part of God's mission? Yes. But is there a worldwide, creation-wide expectation that if we start doing what God wants, that more than just individuals will be blessed? I think there is. I think that what God is saying is, if his people will do his work and continue the work of Jesus by the power of the Spirit in them, that we can change the world and we're supposed to be doing that. That it's a global impact when God's people do God's things in God's ways. That's a different kind of mission. It's a different kind of job description for us. Gone are the days where our job is to go to church, to follow the commands, to just do what we kind of think we're supposed to and wait till we go to heaven. Are we supposed to do those things? I think they're good. Is that the end of it? Absolutely not. It's not the end. In fact, maybe we ought to think differently about how we talk about baptism. We have lots of this language that fits version 2, which is, uh, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that by being baptized into him, 
that your sins will be washed away and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is eternal life. And the Spirit's going to work in you and shape you until that day when you live with God forever. Yes. Do you also now believe that God has a mission in this world and that in doing this, you join in that mission to do what God wants done by the power of the Spirit living Jesus into the world in a way that if we all can get on board, we'll change this world? Maybe that should be part of, if not what we say, then part of what we think about. That your baptism is not now wait, it's now get to work. This year when we get to our, our March for Missions celebration, it's not, okay, now we're done with missions. It's, okay, now we've got the money. You're hired. Let's go to work. Let's get to mission. Let's be praying. Let's do all of these things as a people who believe that God wants us to do something. We're willing to do it. That's version three. Version three is, is that version one is true. It's really limited. Version 2 is, is certainly true. Jesus died on the cross to save you and me from our sins so that we could live with God forever. But that's not the end of the gospel. And, and there's, there's something else in Romans 8 that I want you to see. We miss it because uh, the Greek kind of hides this poetic thing uh, in Romans chapter 8. Uh, in the passage that we read, verse 14 through 29, there are eight different words that begin with the same Greek prefix. Uh, Greek prefix, S-Y-N, uh, it's in Greek, uh, Sigma Upsilon. And without getting too much into it, what I want you to see is that if you could hear this in Greek, it's repeated over and over and over again. Uh, it would be like if I said, we need to, well, I'm not going to try to make something up on the fly. But the repetition of a sound highlights, the repetition of a sound highlights the significance of something that's in a text. And we understand that, and you start listening for it, and you hear it repeated over and over again. Well, in the Greek, what you see is, in the Greek words here on the left, they all begin with the same thing, and the word means co, or with, or joined with, or together. And so in English, these words, which are three or four words slammed into one word in a way that the Greek can and English can't, to translate it into English, you have to make it an entire phrase with adverbs and other things, uh, and you lose the repetition. But if you have what Paul put in here, what you have is that you will be co-witnesses, co-heirs, co-sufferers, co-glorified, co-groaning, co-helping, co-working, and co-forming. Do you think that God wants us to be part of what he's doing in the world? Do you think that God wants us to be joined with what Jesus started and did as an example in the world? Do you think that God understands that when the Spirit comes into us that we become one and that His mission and our mission become our new job description? And so the question is, are we willing as a community to then make it our New Year's resolution this year to not just fund missions, which we need to do, to not just pray for missions, which we need to do, but we're going to live God's mission in the world. And we've got to keep looking and saying, God, what are you doing? And if you're doing it, I'm on board. Let's go. Let's get to work. It's a different kind of mission. It's a different kind of job description. The mission of God. God does it. Jesus does it. The Spirit does it. We do it. And nothing will get in our way.
Nothing will stop us from being co-witnesses, co-heirs, co-glorifiers, co-workers, co-formers who are partnered with God in doing all that needs to be done. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died to save us. That's not all it is. The gospel is the good news that God wants to redeem and restore the entire creation. But that's not all it is. The gospel is the good news that all of us who believe the good news will join with God as Jesus demonstrated and the Spirit empowers to join with his work of changing the world. That's the mission of God. Which means we've got work to do and the creation can't wait to see what we're going to do about it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the world is still waiting to see what God's people will do with the glory we reveal? The glory revealed in us. I do. I believe that the world is waiting. Right now the world is hostile. And in John 15, that text, Jesus says, look, when they reject you, they reject me. And when they accept you, they accept me. This is part of it. It's not going to be easy and it's not always going to be fun and we will get rejected. But it doesn't mean that the entire creation isn't groaning in anticipation with expectation about what God's going to do in us. Will you answer the call? If you're here today, listen, if you're here today and you've never accepted any version of the mission of God in your life, why don't you come forward and do it? We, believe, we know and we believe what the Bible tells us, that if you believe and are baptized, that you will be saved. And you won't just be saved from your sins, you'll be given a job description to reveal the glory of God to a world that's desperate to see who he is and what he's doing. If you have that or any other need, come forward this morning as we stand and sing.